Turn with me, please, to the sixth chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, and we'll be turning to some other scriptures uh, later on. The sixth chapter of Genesis, and just open your Bible uh, there, please, because it's the Word of God that we need to hear. It's the need Word of God that we need to listen to, and we have some truths tonight uh, that will refresh us and encourage us and challenge us as we go along this road of life. The war in Ukraine, the floods and storms in the south of England and the Channel Islands, the earthquake in Afghanistan, mass murders in the USA, the COVID inquiry, the King's speech, every one of those paled into insignificance in the past few weeks. All eyes today, tonight, and has been for the last month are on the West Bank of Jordan, on Gaza, and Jerusalem, and on the Dome of the Rock. Every battle, every war that has been fought against Israel, and when Israel defends itself, has always to do, and will always have to do, with Jerusalem, and with the Dome of the Rock, the site of the Muslims where the temple will be built. And from now until the church is raptured and taken up, eyes will be continually watching the Middle East and especially uh, Jerusalem. And God willing, if we're still here, for we may not be because things are moving that fast, that the church, I believe the Lord is on his way back and the church is about to be lifted out. And if he tarries until the new year, then we will do a series of prophetical meetings. This is just one off tonight because the Lord laid it on my heart. Now tonight we're going to focus on Israel's worst, Israel's sworn, and Israel's oldest enemy. And that is Hamas. That will surprise you because it wasn't until about 1988 or 89 that Hamas's name came in into being, but it's as old as the devil itself. And so tonight we're going to look at who they were and who they are and what the end of them will be because we need always to get back to the source of the problem when we're seeing strife and struggles and wars as we're seeing it tonight even at this moment uh, as, as I speak. So the, the name Hamas means, and I have a number of names written down from the Hebrew and from other languages, it, the name means wicked, cruel, evil, barbaric, to violently seize, to unviolently seize, and to destroy. The first mention of them in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11. And I want you to keep your Bible open because it's the Bible we need to listen to tonight and every night. 
doesn't matter what the Israelites say. It doesn't matter what Hamas says. It doesn't matter what the, whatever anybody else says. The Arabs or anybody else says, what does the word of God say? And that's what we need to focus on tonight. Verse 11 of Genesis chapter 6. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. That's the word Hamas. It's the word Camus. Uh, but if you take the C away and put a hitch in, which the, the languages do, that is the word Hamas. And I want you to watch that as we read on. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled, well, here's again now, with violence, with Hamas, through them. And notice now, it's not a culture, it's not an ideology, it's not a doctrine, it's a people. With violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them of the earth. That's the first mention in the Bible. Now you know that Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And these are the days that we're in, the days of Noah. Let me tell you what the scripture says about the days of Noah. The wickedness shall be great in the days of Noah, and the imagination of every thought and heart of man will be evil continually. Now, the imagination and the thoughts of every heart of man and the heart of man in the world today are not all evil continually, but they are as regards to Hamas. This, uh, the, these, these terrorists that we're dealing with and watching and hearing every day in the news, their thoughts are wicked and evil continually. And you know that because they can behead babies and make their mothers watch their own babies being beheaded. They can rape women, they can cut the fingers of 90-year-old people, and they can do the most dastardly acts uh, that, that you would hardly believe that mankind would do, but their conscience are steered with a hot iron, they're wicked, they're evil, they're terrorists of the worst kind. And they need to be rooted out, and they'll have to be rooted out. And they will be rooted out, and God will deal with them. But I want to get that over to you, that as in the days of Noah, uh, as, it was, as it was in the days of, son, of the Son of Man, brutality, immorality, and barbarity was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. Now Paul said, in the last days perilous times shall come. Uh, perilous times and that word perilous is exceedingly fierce times. It's only used once in the scriptures, and it's used regarding the two madmen from Gadara, and the two Gadarenes who it says about them they were exceedingly fierce, and nobody could pass by. That's a sister word for Hamas. That's a sister word for violence. That's a sister word for the wickedness of them. No man could pass by. They were exceedingly fierce. And we must understand, and you know very well tonight, each one of us, that we're living in exceedingly fierce and wicked days. Days that have come so suddenly upon us 
in the past year or two, in the past year in particular. And if only the church would waken up, the church needs to waken up, and every believer needs to, be, needs to waken up to the realization that we're heading towards the end as fast as we can come, and any moment now the Lord Jesus could burst the clouds and take us out and take the church home, and we're into the great tribulation. And we'll be saying more about that if God spares us into the new year. But we're in wicked and evil days. Jesus says, when you see these things come to, come to pass, lift up your head and look up, for your redeemer drawn nigh. These things that they begin to come to pass are the birth pangs, they're the labor pains before the birth comes. And we're in those days now, and they're getting worse and worse, and the labor pains are getting worse, and something's going to happen very soon, whether it'll be the rapture or something else, but something's going to happen very, very, very soon. And so I ask the question tonight, is this the end game that we're in at the moment? Is this the final jihad? Is this the final push of Hamas and ISA and the Islamic Fatah and all those terror-sworn enemies of Israel? Is this their last push that they're doing? And it seems to me that that's what happened on the, on the 7th of October. The war is on. The war is this war in Gaza uh, and on the West Bank is, is, is a war against the evil and wicked men and women that are trying to root out and destroy and wipe out Israel as we know they have openly said that they would. Israel does not occupy the West Bank. It does not occupy Gaza. They are not occupiers. And you'll turn on the news and Al Jazeera and the BBC and so many other Arab outlets and others as well will always pre preface it by saying occupied West Bank, the occupied Gaza. The Israelites are not occupiers of the land. They're not plunderers of the land. They are not intruders of the land. They are not invaders of the land. They're inheritors of the land. The, 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 the beneficiaries of the land. The land was given to them by God hundreds and thousands of years before the, the jihad boys were ever mentioned, before, before Muslims were ever mentioned. And I haven't time to go through the scriptures tonight, but this message, you can listen to it again, and I will give you some scriptures to prove to you that God gave the land to Abraham, and God meant it to give to Abraham, and they haven't taken all the land yet, but they're going to take it before it's finished. Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. Genesis 17 and verse 18. Genesis 25 and verse 5 and 6. Deuteronomy 1 and verse 8. And Joshua 1, 1 to 4. So there's, there's the scriptures. Before the Lord comes back to the earth to set up his millennial kingdom, that mosque, and I thought I had a photograph of it tonight, but I haven't, but that Alaska mosque, that Dome of the Rock, will have to be removed out of the road. Uh, there's there. It's not a good picture. It'll have to be taken out of the road because that's where the third temple is going to be built. And that temple has to be built for the Lord to return to the earth. But first of all, the Antichrist will come to it and desecrate it. 
and then the Lord will return into the temple. So it has to be built, and that has to be removed out of the way. Now people would wonder how that would be. Well, it could well be removed out of the way before this war is over, let me tell you. And so we're in terrible dangers and we're in terrible dark days. And that's where the third Jewish temple is going to be built and has to be built. Now the Muslims claim this as their ground and their territory, but it is not. They say that Muhammad went up from that rock and that he was carried up into heaven in a, I've it written down here, he was carried, Muhammad carried up from the rock, from the dome of the rock in Jerusalem. Uh, he swept up to heaven on a winged horse ridden by the archangel Gabriel. Well, there's no evidence or there's no proof ever of Muhammad even being in Jerusalem. So I'm just saying those things here tonight so you can get a picture of the deception and the lies that's going on and everything else that's going on. And the simple reason is this, my friend, that there's so many back in the Palestinians that they don't understand, they don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. And many of God's people don't know the Bible. And now you have those chanting and the thousands and the thousands and the Sinn Féin, not even call them terrorists, but that's no wonder. Well, you, they're chanting and they're chanting and they're chanting uh, for the Palestinians, for the Palestinians. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know anything about what the Word of God says, and they don't know anything about what the Word of God means. Just recently, after this jihad started a few weeks ago, there was a call went out. And the call was to Muslims all over the world. And here's what they said. Move quickly to protect the shrine and to support the Palestinian people in the resistance against the Zionist aggressions on the holy site. Arafat, PLO leader, over 30 years ago made this statement. He said, it's the duty of every Muslim to drive out, to drive out the, the, the Zionists it's a commandment by Allah that every Muslim should drive out the, 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 the people of God from the, from the Alaska Rock. So there you have it, my friend. Now you hear so much talk going on today about a two-tier state. You hear so much talk about going on about joint sovereignty. And that has been going on for years and years and years, but that will not work and it can't work because good and evil can't dwell together. People are saying, they're saying, oh, we have the Temple Mount on one side and we'll have the Dome of the Rock still on the other side. But that's not what, that's not what God says. Carter, President Carter, President Clinton, President Obama, Bush, Blair, the United Nations, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia. There are more peace charters, there are more broken agreements. It doesn't work, it won't work, and it'll never work. What we need to remember tonight is as you're listening to the news, what you need to remember tonight as you're viewing this whole situation in the Middle East, what you need to remember tonight and get into our head tonight that the, the Muslims have only one, Islam has only one goal, and that is world dominance. They have only one goal for the Middle East, and that is to rule, and that is to reign Sharia law. And it's the same in England, it'll be the same in Scotland, it'll be the same in Wales, it'll be the same in here, if, here if they get their way. That's their goal. That's their aim. And that's what Israel's standing against even tonight as I speak. 
This war, like every other war that was launched against Israel, is doomed to fail. Doomed to fail. I can say that categorically because I have the book of Revelation. I can say that categorically because I have the word of God and that word tells me the end and it tells me what's going to happen to them. And I'm going to show you tonight what's going to happen to these Hamas. You see, Israel's the only nation on earth with God's name on it. God, Jehovah, Israel, Israel is God. The only nation on earth with God's name stamped on it. Many a men of God, many of the prophets have that name. Samuel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, and you do the rest and do a bit of homework and fill yourself with the scriptures. With E.L., God. Israel was born out of affliction. It was born after the night of wrestling with Jacob at Peniel. And God said to him that next morning, your name shall be called Israel. But we can't understand. We can't understand the conflict and the conflicts that's going on. And that's what I want to educate you on tonight. We can't understand this, these conflicts that are going on with the Arabs and the Muslims against the Jews unless we go back to the beginning. And we have to go back to the beginning. We have to get back to the source. And from then we can see what's going on. So turn with me please to Genesis chapter 25. Because this started in the womb. This started in the womb of Rebecca. You can't go back much further than that. And so we're at Genesis chapter 25 and verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abram's son, Abram begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife for the daughter of Beth, from the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paddan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated. That's twice you have entreated. It means intercession. The Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, let me just stop there a moment. It's an, it was an awful stigma for a Jewish woman not to be able to bear a child, especially a son. It was as if it was a curse on them. And some people think that's why they give the genealogy there of Rebekah, Bethuel, the Syrian, Padanaran, to show that there was some from her background, but I don't know about that, and I'm not going into that tonight, but that's what some people say, that her pedigree was given there because there was something in her background that hindered her from having a child. I don't know. But we do know this. We know that God can close a womb or he can open the womb. That we know. Because he's not only sovereign over the world, he's sovereign over the womb.
And another thing I know, that God answers prayer. And God answers intercessory prayer. And this man interceded for his wife. Good for the husband to intercede for the wife, you know. And I often wonder when all was over, was he glad he interceded at all with what happened after. But this man interceded. He interceded for his wife because she was barren and she couldn't have a child. And you know, God answers prayer and God can bring life into the womb. And he can bring life into a sinner. And he can bring life into a church. And he can bring revival into a land. God is able through prayer to bring life. And this is what happened here. And he done exceedingly abundantly above all that he could ask or think because there was twins. Look at verse 22. And the children struggled together within her. Rebecca conceived and she had twins and the children struggled. That word struggle is the word jihad, by the way. Battle. There was a jihad went on in the womb of Rebecca. There was two boys in the womb. Two brothers in the womb. Same father, same mother. But there was a battle, there was a battle on in the, in, in the womb. And the children struggled in verse 22 together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. She's praying on praying ground now. Sometimes it takes a bit to get a woman or a man onto praying ground. But she's on praying ground now. So she knows... She knows she hadn't had any children before this, but she knows there's something not right here. She knows there's something strange here. There's a, there's a struggle, there's a kicking, there's a battle going on in the womb. So she inquired of the Lord. And she asked the Lord, Lord, what is this? Why, why, why is this going on? Verse 23 says this, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in the womb. Now, just you let that settle into your mind. There were twins in the womb, two of them. Two nations are in the womb. Two nations are fighting. Two nations are still fighting tonight. It started in the womb. <coughs> Two nations with the same father are fighting tonight in the Middle East. As a national war, and I haven't time to do this tonight, but there's a spiritual war. The flesh was represented by Esau and the spirit by Jacob. Now we're on our own ground now, aren't we? The flesh and the spirit. 
That battle goes on every day in the life of the believer. There's a kicking match. There's a hammering match every day in the life of the believer. In Romans 7 and verse 9, the good that I would, Paul says, that I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And there's a battle going on between the flesh and the devil and whatever you feed. Let me say this to you Christians, not only to young Christians, but to every believer tonight, that whoever you feed will be the strongest. If you feed the flesh, the flesh will beat you. If you feed the spirit and read the word and keep praying and keep in touch with God and keep in company and keep in the prayer meeting and keep in fellowship and you'll, you'll, you'll need to because you'll not survive if you don't. The old flesh, the old lust of the flesh, well, the old ban will hammer you, my friend. We have to keep on the victory side. We have to keep praising. We have to keep praying. So there's two nations. There's a national and there's a spiritual war going on in the womb. Now, verse 25. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. He was the oldest of the twin. The word hairy means red, or the word red means hairy rather. So you just think of that. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when he bare them. The battle started in the womb. They were fighting in the womb. Fighting in the womb. Esau, covered with red hair, Some say he was like an animal. And some say, and I don't know, that Rebecca loathed him that moment that she saw him because we know that she loved Jacob and Esau loved, had a favorite with Esau. But verse 26 said again, And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare him. Some people go back there to Genesis 3.15 where they bruised the heel. Now, I don't know and I can't go into that tonight. But there's something very spiritual going on here. Something very spiritual. Jacob was Israel. Isaac was the Arabs. The father of all Arab nations. The jihad started here in the womb. Now I want you to read on. Verse 27. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Field speaks of the world. He was an outdoor man. He spent his days hunting. Out in the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Tents speak of sojourning, don't speak of dwelling. And you can see the difference here now between these two men, which you'll see later on. And Jacob sawed pottage, that is, he made a stew, 
And Esau, Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau, Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee. That he was hungry, he was starving. With the same red pottage, for I am faint. Now I want you to watch this. Therefore was his name called Edom. He was the father of the Edomites. And you know the story how Jacob sold the birthright. And instead of Esau getting the birthright, Jacob got the birthright. And Jacob never set, Esau never settled after that. The only time they ever came together was at the father's death. And after that, all hell broke loose between them and is still broke loose tonight. I can't be any more brief. I can't go into this in any more detail. Esau was the father of the Edomites. The Edomites. All Arab nations, all the sworn enemies of Israel, Hamas, Fatah, Isa, all the sworn Arabs, and so many millions of Arabs tonight, while so many of them will not come out and say it, but they want Israel wiped away. There's a hatred for God, and you can see it all around the world as I speak, and as you watch the news, you can see it all around the world. It started in the womb. It started in a family. I'll tell you, there's no strife like a family strife. There's no battles like family battles. That's where it started, and it still goes on today. There was an enmity in this man, Esau. There was a wickedness in him. He married a wicked woman. And they bred in thousands and thousands and thousands. And they plundered and they stole. And they had a place in Petra, way up in Bosra, way up in the rocks that came. By the way, they had tunnels away up in the rocks of the mountains. They were, they were a force to be reckoned with. They were wicked, they were evil. They turned out to be the, the most hated people that hated Israel more than anybody else. Esau, the Bible says, was wicked. He was profane. He was a fornicator. He avenged his birthright in the way that Jacob did. And mind you, Jacob didn't deal too well with him. And Israel's not without fault tonight. She's not without fault. There's plenty could be laid to blame her, but remember this, she's God's chosen people. They are. They may not be doing things right, they may be doing things wrong, and they may be doing things that are against humanity even, but they're God's people. And it doesn't say God condones it. And when you and I, a child of God, fall and fail, we can get up again and we can go on. Well, Israel is doing that over the years. Thank God that we can. I haven't time to do this tonight because we're going to have a short time of prayer and I have one revelation to show you before it closes. But Herod, when you come over to the New Testament, Herod, was an Edomite. He was one of these boys. Of course, he slew the children, didn't he? 
How many did he slay? Two years and under. Remember he stood before the Lord Jesus and the Lord answered him never a word. And the old Edomite blood was in him. The old hatred for Israel was in him. The whole hatred for the children of God was in him. Slay the babe. Slay the babe. Slay the babe. Now I want you to turn with me. I want you to try and digest what I've said and think it over and study it in the word of God yourself. But I want to turn to one scripture tonight. And it's a scripture I have never preached from. And it's the book of Obadiah. Just 21 verses, one chapter. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. I may be wrong and I haven't been reading any scholars in this. I've just been praying and asking the Lord to show me. I may be wrong, but I believe that God put this wee prophecy of Obadiah in to show us how he's going to deal with the Edomites and Hamas and the wicked, evil men that hate Israel. And I believe that he put this, these 21 verses in here for these very days in which we're living in. And I'm going to show you that. But I believe there's the scriptures in here that's to deal with the last month. Now just you take your time and ask the Lord to speak to you. And this we prophet, there's 12 Obadiahs in the Bible. This is, this is none of them. We don't know his background. We don't know where he come from. We know absolutely nothing about this man. It has just seemed that God said, now I want you, I want you to write a prophecy. To Alberti Johnson be able to tell the people <coughs> about it. So look at verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning, now what? Edom, Esau. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against them in battle. Here's a message God gave to the prophet. Just one message, that's all he preached. And it was all to do with Edomites in these last days. One message... A rumor, he says, a revelation is a revelation. God revealed to the servant, and that's what uh, Obadiah's name means, a servant of the Lord. God revealed to the servant that a conspiracy of nations are going to attack the Edomites. And he says in this verse 1, Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. There is a confederacy of nations turning against Edom, the Edomites, whom they used to be great with, and they're going to rise up against them in battle. And God's learned it to happen. Look at verse 2. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. 
Now here's our problem. Here's the problem with Esau. And it's the devil. This is the devil's sin. And it's the problem with many of God's people too. And I hope it's not the problem with you because mind you, we can all suffer from it and not even know it. Verse 3, the pride of thine heart has deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, Pet, Petra, Petra was the place where they dwelt in thousands and thousands. They were amongst the rocks, way up in the mountains. And I tell you again, in caves. So it's no coincidence that they have tunnels under the hospitals in Gaza. They're old hands at this. Thou dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? That was the tale of Esau all his days. Pride, arrogance, stubbornness, ungodliness, wouldn't give in to the things of God. Verse 4, God says, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, I will bring thee down, <laughs> saith the Lord. Uh, he'll bring them down. And my friend, he'll bring every enemy of Israel down. I will bring them down, saith the Lord. And then he uses an illustration. He says, if thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Cut off, see that word? Would they not have stolen till they had enough if, they, if the grape gatherers came to thee? Would they not leave some grapes? In other words, they would take what they want and they wouldn't be able to take everything, so they'd have to leave some. But God says, he's going to leave nothing. Verse 6. How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought out? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that are at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that ate thy bread have laid a wound under the, there and, none, and no, is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom? Boys, do you hear them? Hear these leaders and Arabs and think they know everything. An understanding out of the Mount of Esau. And the mighty men of Teman shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by what? Slaughter. Boy, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of anyone that rises up against God's people. I would be afraid to wave a Palestinian flag on the street. Let me tell you, I would. Verse 10, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee. Back at the womb. And thou shalt be cut off forever. Now watch verse 11. Verse 11 
applies to when God's people were taken into the Babylonish captivity. Do you know what Esau did? Do you know what the Edomites did? They helped the Babylonians to capture the people and kill the people, their own brothers. But God doesn't forget. And remember that now, my friend. God requires that which is past. Not only did they do that, but they took the houses of the Jews in Jerusalem and dwelt in them and sold them. Yes, these boys allied with, allied with the Babylonian. Well, here's what he says. In that day thou stoodest on the other side. In that day that the strangers carried away captive forces, and foreigners, foreigners, the Babylonians, entered into the gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, thou even was as one of them. Now, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of years that was before this. But God doesn't forget. Now, let me emphasize that now. There's retribution. Don't touch the apple of his eye. There's retribution. But then look at verse 12. But thou shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Do you know the number of the things that he says you shouldn't have done that he's seen that they did thousands of years before? Look at verse 12. Thou shouldst not. Thou shouldst. Thou shouldst not. What does verse 12 apply to? Well, I'll tell you what it applies. It was when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. And you could do nothing better tonight when you go home and read Numbers chapter 20. Because in Numbers chapter 20, here's what you will read. When they were in a tight corner, the children of Israel at Mirabah, and they were beat, and they didn't know, they, had, they couldn't get through. Moses sent a message to the king of Edom. God, my friend, listen. Be very careful what you say. Be very careful what you do. He sent a message to the king of Eden. He says, and here's what Moses said to him. This is thy brother Israel. Thou knowest all the sorrows and travail that has come upon us. And then he said this to him. Esau. Esau's crowd. We need a right away through your land. Or if we don't get it, we're in great trouble. We'll not touch your vineyards. We'll not drink your water. We'll not tramp over your fields of barley. 
We'll not turn to the right or turn to the left until we just pass by thy border. And like a flash, the king of Moabites says, you'll not put a foot there. For I'll come against you with an army and with a sword. And so they did. They gathered an army to fight against them when they had them in a corner. It says they laughed at them. They rejoiced in verse 12. At their brethren. Boy, I tell you, I could. Don't you laugh or rejoice or mock any other church, any other pastor, any other minister. Let it be right or let it be wrong. It's not your business. Because God will see it and he'll remember it. Don't take joy in someone else's trouble, in some split in some other church. Or some family feud. Lastly. Verse 13. And I'd ever read this anywhere. And I'm not saying whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. But I have a right to my own view. When, that, when the Lord, I believe, showed me something. I believe this verse 13 applies to the 7th of October. Do you know, Bertie, this is going out maybe to a couple of, maybe thousand? I do. We're talking about the enemies of Israel. We're talking about the Edomites, the worst kind. We're talking about Hamas. Wicked, evil, sworn enemies. 40,000 of them in the West Bank. I got a phone call from a woman the other day who got a phone call from a woman in Israel. Now, I'm not sure whether the woman was in the West Bank or was in the, or in the West Bank or in Gaza or Tel Aviv or wherever it was. But all I could hear was this, I'm not going to say who she was, all I could hear, you wouldn't know her anyway, all I could hear was her crying. She says, I pulled in the car and she was crying. She said, I'm after getting a phone call from a friend of mine in, in Israel. And she said, the special forces have gone into one of the bunkers and they've got the captors, but they can't get them out. She said, would you pray? Look at verse 13. Thou shouldst not have entered into the gate, watch this, my people, in the day of their calamity. And you'll get calamity, is it three times you'll get calamity in the verse? And that word calamity is misfortune, disaster, affliction. And I don't know what happened. And I don't know the ins and outs of how they got in on that Saturday to slay them young people and to take the hostages. I don't know what's behind all that, but there's more than you would imagine. But it certainly was their day of calamity and distress. 
But here, God says, Thou shouldst not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity or distress. Watch this, or laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. That's property and people. How many did they take hostage? Many did the murder. And many did they bring out. Verse 14, Neither shouldst thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape, as they were escaping the children and the young people that mowed them down. Let me show you this. Verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done it, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon mine own head. Verse 17. But upon Mount Zion, where the dome of the rock is, where the temple will be, upon Mount Zion shall be the deliverer, and in other words, the reading of this verse, the holy deliverer shall come, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. They have never possessed all the possessions that Abraham, uh, the Abraham covenant with God gave. They've never possessed it. But before the blessed banks over, they'll repossess it all. And Gaza. Solomon was the only one that came near to possessing it all, but they have to possess it all in the will, and that means Iraq, and it all means around that whole Euphrates. They're going to possess their possessions. Well, what is this phrase, the day of the Lord? It's the day of the tribulation. It's the day when the Lord Jesus comes in all his wrath. The day of vengeance, the day of Jacob's trouble that is called, my friend, listen, let me tell you as I close, the very next thing that could happen at any moment now, even tonight now, and it'll have to happen very soon, because it'll not take them long building the temple and have the temple, and it'll not take, listen, they need a man at the minute. The Middle East needs a man at the minute. There's not a man, not a man can give them direction. There's not a man can give them guidance. There's not a man can give them leading. They can pontificate and say all that they like, and they can talk how they like, and talk about two-tier states and sovereignty, and this and that, and that. They can do whatever they like, but listen, they need a man. Israel needs a man, and they're going to get a man. They're going to get the Antichrist. Can you imagine a man stepping onto the scene of affairs and solving this whole problem? And take a peace treaty, a peace treaty for three and a half years. This is the man that they're looking for. Jeremiah says they run through the street looking for a man, and they couldn't find him. But they're going to find a man. Let me tell you. And he's a devil incarnate. And he's alive, and he's well somewhere about Brussels tonight. And you better believe that. And it's time God's people wakened up. It's time we had half nights and nights of prayer and fasting. 
Because the end is near. And don't you say, I'm saved and that's all right and I'm ready to go, but you have a neighbor not saved. You have loved ones not saved. The coming of the Lord draws near. And this man's about to step onto the scene, but he can't step onto the scene of Israel. He can't step onto the scene of Europe or Brussels or anywhere else until the church goes. Now we preach that and we believe that and you know that. How near we are to the saints being taken out to come back with them here to Mount Zion, to the temple rebuilt. When all these people are put out of the way and put out of the road and Jesus shall come and he shall reign where the sun and possess all his possessions too. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. All the Philistines, all the Arabs, all the Edomites, all of the ungodly, and there's some decent, good, and gentle, and loving Arabs. But friend, in the heart of every one of them, there's a hatred for Israel. And it's not for Israel, it's for God. And it was seen in old Herod. And it's seen in Esau. And it's seen down through the years. And it's seen in our land. And those that get out in our land, you watch them who they are. I can tell you they have no bother some of these women with the flags waving about. Free Palestine, free Palestine. But more than a child in their womb. But I can tell you the summer are out doing that and they've murdered two or three children in their womb. Free Palestine. They don't know what they're talking about. Occupied Gaza. They're Jews occupied. Not, the Jews are not a confrontal people. They, they, they're not, a, they're not a, a, a people who start wars. They're a defensive people. And they're defending, and that's what they're doing tonight, defending. And if I had time and some other night, I'll tell you, I could give you a dozen reasons tonight where I love the Jews. I love them first of all for this book. For every one of them as a Jew that wrote. And I love them too tonight because the Saviour was a Jew. <laughs> and he was at the Temple Mount before any of them were there. And they'd be there when they're gone. Well, I love them tonight. I could give you 20 reasons why I love the Jewish people tonight and why we need to defend them and why we need to pray for them. Because without them we'd be in hell, every one of us. What have we learned tonight? Well, we've learned that that dome and that rock's going to come down, that rock. And that the third temple is going to be built there on that spot and the Antichrist is going to come to it and Jesus Christ is going to come to destroy him at the Battle of Armageddon. What have we learned tonight? We learned that every enemy that turns against Israel will be defeated and cut off and slaughtered.
Listen, are you saved tonight in this meeting? Are you honestly, genuinely saved? Do you know you're saved, your sins forgiven, peace with God and your way to heaven? I wouldn't go up that lane tonight. I wouldn't take one step out of this house if I wasn't saved. That God knows what you'll hear in the news tonight or tomorrow. We're on the road to Armageddon as fast as we can go.